Chapter 20 of Beric the Briton by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Mountain Warfare. The gladiators sprang to their feet as their leaders returned to them, and eagerly questioned them as to the news that had so reanimated them. But they only replied, Beric will tell you, and Beric was obliged to mount a rock near the spot where they had been feasting, and to repeat to the whole of the assembly his plan for the campaign against the Romans. Loud shouts greeted his speech, the Gauls and Britain clashing their swords against their shields, as was their custom, and the others signified their approval, each after the manner of their country. Beric is our leader. Beric is our leader, they shouted. We will follow him to the death. When the tumult had subsided, Beric raised his hand for silence. I am willing to accept the leadership, he said, but if I must lead, I must be obeyed. In a warfare like this, everything depends upon the orders of him who commands being carried out promptly and without question. I only accept the command because, although younger than most of you, I have already fought the Romans often and successfully. Each of you will remain under your respective chiefs, who will act as my lieutenants, and all must be ready to sacrifice their own wishes and their own opinions to the general welfare. Those whom I order to fight will fight. I know those whom I tell off to fell trees, to raise obstacles, or to pile stones on the edges of precipices, must labor with equal zeal, while those who are dispatched to drive up cattle or to guard them until needed in the forest will know that their turn for active fighting will come in good time. The man who disobeys me dies. It is only by acting as one man and under one leader that we can hope to resist successfully. You are free men and may consider it humiliating thus to obey the orders of another, but the Romans are free men too, and yet they cement to the severest discipline, and, without the slightest question, obey the orders of their general. So it must be here. If all are disposed thus to follow me, I accept the command. Let those who cannot so submit themselves withdraw and fight in their own fashion. They shall be free to depart, none harming them. A great shout followed the conclusion of Beric's speech, and the whole of those present lifted up their hands and swore implicit obedience to him. The next few days were spent in making a careful examination of the mountains above Cosenza, and fixing upon the points where an act of resistance could be best made. We must have missiles, Beric said one day when his lieutenants were gathered round him. We will not begin the war until the Romans do so, but we must have weapons. Budoic, you will tomorrow take the whole of my band and descend to the plain. Fall upon the town of Castanium at daybreak. The bands of Victor and Marsusis will accompany you and will be also under your orders. My orders are strict, that no one is to be injured unless he resists. Tell the inhabitants that we wish them no harm. Ransack the armorers' shops for arrow and javelin heads, and search all the private houses for weapons. Also bring off all the brass, copper, and iron you can find, with every axe and chopper in town. 
We can erect charcoal furnaces here, similar to those we used at home, and so provide ourselves with an ample store of missiles. Bring off from the carpenter's shops any seasoned wood you can find suitable for making of bows. Touch no gold or silver ornaments of the women. The metals are useless to us here. Neither take garments nor spoil of any other kind. I would show them that, until driven to it, we are not the foes of the people at large. Above all, frighten no woman. Let them see that we, though gladiators and outlaws, are as well disciplined and as humane as their own soldiery. Accordingly, at sunset, Bedoic marched away at the head of 200 men and returned to the mountains late on the following afternoon with a large store of arms and metal. Beric's orders having been scrupulously carried out. You should have seen the wonder of the people, Bedoic said to him, when they saw that we meant them no harm and that we touched neither person nor goods save in the matter of arms. They gave us their best to eat, and many even accompanied us some distance on our return, overjoyed with the clemency we had shown the town. There was no lack of charcoal, and in many places the stacks had been left by the charcoal burners untouched when the bands first appeared among the mountains. Those who had been accustomed to the smelting of metals at home were appointed to cast heads for arrows and javelins. Others cut down and spilt up tough wood and fashioned the shafts. Others made bows. Strong parties were set to work to fell trees and form obstacles in defiles where the rocks rose steeply while others piled great heaps of stones and heavy rocks along the edges of precipices, And yet there were no signs of the expected fleet, and when the preparations were complete, the bands again scattered as it was easier so to maintain themselves in provisions, and a party being left to watch for the arrival of the Roman legions, Beric returned with his band to his former station. There will be plenty of time to gather again, before they move forward, he said to their lieutenants. They will have to collect the carts from all the country round to land their stores and to make their arrangements for victualling. They will know that it is no easy task that they are undertaking and that they have desperate men to meet. It will be a week after they land at the very earliest before they leave Cosenza. For a fortnight, Beric remained quietly passing the greater portion of his time at the farmhouse with Amelia. It is terrible to me that you are going to fight the Romans, Beric, she said. I have no desire to fight the Romans. It is they who want to fight with me, he replied, and as I have no desire for crucifixion or any other form of death which they bestow upon their captives, I have no choice but to resist. As you do not think any the worse of me, Amelia, for having fought your countrymen before, I don't see that you can take it to heart that I am going to do it again, especially as you have very small reason to be grateful to them for the treatment that you and yours have received at their hands. You must remember, dear, that as my wife you are a Briton now and must no longer speak of the Romans as your people. Still, were it not for my countrymen, I would gladly bury myself with you in some cottage far up among the hills of Sicily, and there pass my life in quiet and seclusion. But without a leader, the others would speedily fall victim to the Romans, and as long as the Romans press us, I must remain with them. 
At the end of the fortnight a messenger arrived saying that a great fleet had arrived at the mouth of the Crathus River. I will from time to time send a messenger to you, Amelia, Beric said as he took a tender farewell of his wife, to tell you how matters go with us. But do not alarm yourself about me. For some time there is little chance of close fighting. The bands gathered in their full force above Cosanza, and during the week that elapsed before the Romans advanced, renewed their labor at various passes through which it was probable that the enemy would move. Some of the men were already skilled archers, and the rest had spent their time for the last fortnight in incessant practice and could manage their weapons sufficiently well to be able to send an arrow into a crowded mass of men. It was with a feeling of satisfaction that the Roman column was seen one morning issuing from Cosanza and moving up the road that there crossed the mountains. Once on the crest, they proceeded to cut down trees and form a camp. While they were so occupied, the gladiators remained on the defensive. Light-armed troops had been pushed by the Romans into the woods, but after being permitted to advance some distance, the sound of a horn was heard, followed instantly by a flight of arrows, and then by a rush of the gladiators, who drove these light-armed troops before them, killing many, till they reached the protection of the spearmen. Again and again during the ensuing week, the Romans endeavored to penetrate the woods, heavy-armed troops accompanying the archers, before they had penetrated far into the forest, they found their way arrested by obstacles, lines of felled trees with the branches pointing towards them, and these were only taken after severe loss. The defenders shooting through the green hedge, which was only broken through when working parties with heavy axes came up covered by the spearmen. One party pushing on incautiously, was suddenly attacked on all sides, and after pouring in their missiles, the gladiators charged them, broke the ranks of the spearmen, and destroyed the whole party, three hundred in number. After this, the advance was delayed until the fortified camp was complete and stored with provisions. Then the Roman army moved forward and was soon engaged in a succession of combats. Every valley and ravine was defended. Invisible folds rolled down masses of rocks among them and a hail of arrows, and it was only when very strong bodies of archers, supported by spearmen, climbed the heights on both sides that the resistance ceased. The Romans halted for the night where they stood, but there was little sleep for them, for the woods rang with war cries in many languages. The sentries were shot or stabbed by men who crawled up close to them. At time the shouts became so threatening and near that the whole force was called to its feet to repel attack but in the morning all was quiet as before they were attacked as soon as they moved forward no serious opposition was offered to the columns of spearmen but the light armed troops who covered the advance and formed a connection between the columns were exposed to incessant attack the third day the romans after another disturbed night again advanced this time they met with no opposition, and as they moved cautiously forward, wondered uneasily what was the meaning of this silence. Late in the afternoon, they learned. They had advanced, each man carrying three days' provision with him. Beric, being aware that this was their custom, had during the night led his men 
some distance down the hillside and making a detour occupied before morning the ground the romans had passed over at midday a great convoy of baggage animals laden with provisions came along it extended over a great length and came in straggling order the men leading their animals and making their way with difficulty through the thick trees five hundred roman soldiers were scattered along the line suddenly the sound of a horn rose in the woods and in an instant at points all along the line of the convoy strong bodies of men burst down upon them in vain the roman soldiers tried to gather in groups the animals frightened by the shouting and din broke loose from their leaders and rushed wildly hither and thither adding to the confusion greatly outnumbered and attacked by foes individually their superiors both in strength and skill of arms and animated by a burning hatred the romans could do little and the combat terminated in a few minutes in their annihilation the men with the convoy were all killed a line of gladiators having been posted through the woods both ahead and behind it before the attack began so that no fugitives might escape either way to carry the news the animals were then collected and their burdens taken off and examined the flour was divided up into parcels that a man could easily carry on his shoulder and a large number of skins of wine set aside all that could not be taken was scattered and destroyed and the animals then slaughtered as soon as it became dark the band descended the mountainside marched for many miles along its foot and then again ascended the hills ready to oppose the roman advance but there was no movement in the morning surprised and alarmed at the non-arrival of the train by nightfall the general sent a strong body of troops back to meet them with torches these in time came upon the bodies of men and animals and at once returned with the news of the disaster to the camp this is a terrible blow pollio the general said to his son-in-law we had reckoned on an obstinate resistance but did not dream that the gladiators would thus oppose us it puts me in mind muro of the work in the fens of britain and indeed more than once i have thought i recognized the roar cries with which the iceni attacked us the strategy is similar to that we then encountered can it be possible that beric is again opposing us i heard during the short time we were in rome that the britons in the palace of nero had risen and escaped i was too heartbroken at the fate of my uncle and his family to ask many questions and was fully occupied in our preparations my first thought would have been to find beric out had i not been met on landing with the news of the disgrace and death of norbanus and i shunned the palace of nero as if the pestilence had been there no doubt beric would have left with the other britons and in that case he may well be at the head of those opposing us the tactics they are adopting certainly look like it pollio and if they continue to fight as they have done so far we are likely to have no better fortune than suetonius had in his campaign against them it is ten days since we left cosanza we have made but some ten miles advance among the hills we have lost already eight hundred hoplites and i know not how many light armed troops at this rate our force will melt away to nothing before we have half cleared 
this wilderness of rock and forest. Hitherto, in their revolts, the gladiators have met our troops in pitched battle, but their strength and skill have not availed against Roman discipline. But in such fighting as this, discipline goes for little. They are fighting on ground they know, can choose their moment for attack, and hurl all their strength on one point while we are groping blindly. But how can they have got through our lines in the night, Moro? Polio asked. Our men were posted down to the edge of the forest on either side of the hills. There were two thousand under arms all night. But there was nothing to prevent them, Polio, from descending far below the forest line and coming up again in our rear. This is what they must have done nor have we any means of preventing their doing so, for nothing short of a force strong enough to reach down to the sea on either hand would prevent their passing us. At any rate, we must halt here for a time. The whole of our baggage animals are destroyed, and nothing can be done until another train is collected. The war proceeded but slowly. The Romans indeed made some slight advance, but they were worn out and harassed by incessant alarms. To prevent the recurrence of the disaster to the baggage trains, the supplies were now carried along the plain at the foot of the hill, and then taken up under very strong escorts directly to the point at which the army had arrived. The soldiers, worn out and dispirited by constant alarms, became reluctant to advance unless in solid order, and in this way 5,000 men, taking nine days' provisions with them, made their way through the heart of the hills till they reached the southern slopes, and the sea lay before them. But they occupied only the ground on which they stood, and their passage brought them no nearer to the end they desired. The fact that the army had made a passage right through the mountains was regarded as a triumph in Rome, and believing that the end was near, fresh reinforcements were sent to Muro to enable him to finish the campaign rapidly. His reports, however, to the Senate left no doubt in the minds of those who read them as to the situation. We are fighting, he said, an enemy who will not allow us to strike him. Three months have passed since I entered the mountain, and yet I cannot say that I am nearer the end than I was when I began. I have lost 3,000 men, of whom half are spearmen. The gladiators have suffered but slightly for they always burst down in overwhelming numbers, slay and retire. At least twenty times my camps have been attacked, and although I have lost but one convoy, the difficulty and labor of victualling the troops is enormous. If the gladiators would but take to the plain, we should annihilate them in the first battle. As it is, it is they who select the ground for action, not we. The troops are utterly worn out and well-nigh mutinous at what they consider a hopeless task. You ask me what had best be done? My own opinion is that we should retire from the mountains and establish the troops in camps near their foot so as to restrain the gladiators from making excursions and to fall upon them when hunger drives them to leave the mountains. Treachery may then do what force has failed to. Among such a body there must be traitors, and when the war is apparently ended, we may, through shepherds or goat herds, open communication with them. 
my great fear is and always has been that as we gradually press them south they may pour down on to one of the villages on the straits size the boats cross to sicily and take refuge in the mountains there where they can laugh at our efforts to pursue them i should advise that it should be announced publicly that our army having traversed the whole mountains of brutunium without meeting with a foe the objects of the expedition have been obtained and the enemy may now be considered as a mere mass of fugitives whom it would be impossible to root out as long as they take refuge among their fastnesses but that for the present the army were placed in a cordon of camps round the foot of the mountains by which means the fugitives will be starved into surrender if this course is not approved i have but one other to suggest namely that the whole of the population of southern italy should be ordered to take part in the total destruction of the forest of brutinium every tree must be cut down to the level of the soil every trunk and branch must be burned by fire the task would be a tremendous one the loss to the country around by the destruction of the forest wherein their flocks of sheep and goats and their herds of swine find sustenance and shelter in winter would be enormous but thus and thus alone i am assured can these bands of gladiators be rooted out moro's advice was taken and the exulting gladiators beheld the troops descending from the mountains to the plains below their own loss had not exceeded three hundred men and their shouts of triumph rose high in the woods and reached the ears of the romans retiring sullenly down the slopes in a few days the plan of the romans became apparent the camp in the pass above cosenza was still strongly held four well-fortified camps were established in the plains on either side of the hills and muro himself took up his post at regium where two thousand legionaries were posted the gladiators again broke up into bands beric returning to his former encampment to the delight of amelia you must not suppose that our troubles are over amelia he said we have indeed beaten them on our own ground but we shall now have to fight against famine the wild animals have already become scarce you may be sure that the villagers will be allowed to send no more flocks or herds up into the hills to pasture and before long it will be necessary to make raids for food you will see that emboldened by their successes the men will become rash may be cut off and defeated as for us there is no fear as long as we can pay for provisions we shall be able to obtain them for although there may be difficulty in obtaining regular supplies now that the troops are on regium all these upland farmers and villages will continue to deal with us knowing that if they do not we shall take what we need without payment and perhaps burn their houses over their heads it was not long indeed before beric's predictions were verified as soon as provisions became scarce the bands on the other side of the mountains recommenced their forays on the villages but from the roman camps parties of soldiers were sent off after nightfall to the upper villages and the marauders were several times surprised and almost exterminated 
we must be more and more careful beric said to amelia when he heard of one of these disasters the prisoners the romans take will under torture tell all they know and it will not be long before the romans are certain the general position of our encampment the force will dwindle rapidly in the last two months they have lost well nigh as many men as in the campaign in the mountains more than that i have seen several of the leaders who told me they had determined seeing that starvation was approaching them here to endeavour to pass between the roman camps with their bands and regain the mountains beyond cosanza so as to establish themselves far north and indeed i cannot blame them but their retreat adds to our danger so long as they roamed the eastern hills there was no danger of a roman force surprising us but when they have gone some of the captives may be forced to lead the romans across the hills to our neighbourhood Bodoic is vigilant and his scouts are scattered far around the camp and at the worst we may have to carry out my plan of crossing to sicily at any rate he has my orders what to do in case of a sudden surprise if i am absent knowing every foot of the wood now he will at once make his way north leaving it to me to rejoin him as i best can but upon one thing beric had not reckoned so long as the gladiators were in force among the mountains the country people on the slopes above the straits were glad enough to purchase their safety by silence but as they heard of one band after another being crushed by the romans and learned that parties from various camps had penetrated far into the hills without meeting with a single opponent their fear of the gladiators decreased there were two thousand legionaries at Rigidium. these could crush the band that remained somewhere about the crest of the hills with ease and they need no longer fear their vengeance the roman general would surely pay a great reward for information that would lead to his being able to deal a final blow to the gladiators the farmer with whom amelia lodge had no such thought he had earned in the last eight months as much as his farm had brought him in the three best years since he inherited he found these terrible outlaws gentle and pleasant ready to lend a hand on the farm if needful and delighted to play with his children as to their chief he was a source of never-ending wonder to him gladiators were according to his idea fierce and savage men barbarians who were good for nothing but to kill each other while this tall man bore himself like a roman of high rank conversed in pure latin and could even read and write amelia too had become a great favourite in the house the farmer's wife wondered at seeing one with two slaves to wait upon her active and busy interested in all that went on and eager to learn every detail of the housework i could manage a roman household beric she said i did so indeed all the time we were in rome but we may have to live in a hut and i must know how to manage and cook for you there in regium life was more cheerful than usual many of the upper class of rome who shrank from the festivities of the court of nero and yet dared not withdraw altogether from rome had their country estates and villas along the coasts where they could for a time enjoy freedom and live according to their taste berenice had joined pollio 
three weeks before, when she found that he was likely to remain stationed at Regium for some time. They lived with Muro in a villa a short distance from the town, and looking over the straits. I should feel perfectly happy there, Pollio, Berenice said one evening as she walked to and fro on the terrace with him, looking at the water in which the moonlight was reflected, bringing up into view the boats rowing here and there with pleasure parties, with music and lanterns. If it were not for the thought of Beric, it is curious that he should be mixed up with both our lives. He was my playmate as a boy. He saved me at the massacre of Camelodian and restored me to my father. When we left Britain, he was fighting against Suetonius, and we expected when we left that the news of his defeat and death would reach Rome before us. At Rome we heard but vague rumors that Suetonius had not yet overcome the final resistance of the Britons, and glad we were when Petronius was sent out to take his place, and we heard that greater measures were to be used towards the Britons. Then, after a time, when we were in Syria, came the news that Suetonius had returned, bringing with him Beric, the British chief, with twenty of his followers, and my father at once wrote to the empress, praying him that clemency might be extended to him for his kind action in saving my life. Then, when you came out to Syria, Beric's name again came up. You had journeyed with him from Britain to Rome, and he had become your friend. Then, a few months afterwards, a newcomer from Rome brought us the story of how your cousin Enia, having turned Christian, had been condemned to the lions. How a British gladiator named Beric had sprung into the arena and craved to fight the lion. How Nero had cruelly ordered him to do so unarmed, and how he had, as it seemed by a miracle, overcome the lion and bound him by strips torn from his mantle. Then again we learned from one who came from Nero's court that Beric stood high in favor with Caesar and that he was always about his person and that rumor said he kept guard over him at night. Then again when we returned to Rome my father was at once ordered to take command of an expedition against some revolted gladiators among whom were it was said the British captives who had created a disturbance in Nero's palace well nigh killed the emperor and after slaying many of praetorians escaped after you and my father had left me at the house of my uncle lucius i made many inquiries and found that beric had doubtless escaped with the other britons as he had never been seen in the palace that night i heard too that it had been whispered by some of those who were present at the supper that the fault had not been his. He had been betrothed to your cousin Amelia and Nero, urged thereto by Rufinius, a disappointed suitor, ordered Beric to bring her to the orgy. Upon his refusal, Rufinius attacked him, and Beric slew him by dashing his head against the marble pillar. Then Nero called upon the Praetorians, and the Britons ran into the aid of their chief and defeating the praetorians escaped it was the same night that your uncle died and amelia was missing it may be that she fled with beric knowing that she would be sacrificed to the fury of nero 
Is it not strange, Pollio, that this Briton should be so mixed up in both our lives? It is indeed, Berenice. There is no one to whom I owe so much. First I owe your life to him, then I owe that of Inia, my cousin, for although she died afterwards, it was in her father's house and not a terrible and disgraceful death in the arena, and now we have been fighting against him for months, and though, of course, we made the best of matters, there is no doubt that we had all the worst of it. We had 12,000 men against a 1,000, and yet Beric kept us at bay and inflicted some terrible blows upon us, for we lost a third of our number. After the first battle, there was no longer any doubt that Beric was the leader of our opponents. Even had we not heard them shout his name as they attacked us, we who had fought against him in Britain would have recognized that he was again our opponent, for he used the same tactics among the mountains that he had done in the swamps. We know from prisoners we have taken since that he was unharmed in the struggle with us, and certainly neither he nor any of his Britons have been among the raiding bands whom we have surprised and destroyed. Indeed, the Britons never joined in any of the attacks upon the country people before we came hither. I have questioned many of the sufferers by their depredations, and none of them had seen among the plunderers any tall men with light hair. The only time that they had been seen on the plains was a fortnight before we landed, when they entered Castanian and carried off all the arms. The Britons were among that party, and a Briton commanded it, but from the description it was not Beric, but was, I think, the principal follower, a man with a British name which I forget. Was it Bedoic? Berenice said. I have often heard him speak of a friend of his with such a name, and indeed he once came or twice to see him when he was with us. That was the name, Bedoic, Polio said. They behaved with the greatest gentleness, injuring no one and taking nothing, neither jewels nor ornaments nor garments, but departing quietly after taking possession of all the weapons in the town. Your father reported the fact to Rome, bringing into prominence the fact that this was the first time the Britons had ever descended from the mountains, and that the inhabitants of Castanium were filled with gratitude and admiration for the treatment they received. Last week he wrote to Rome saying that so far as he could learn all the bands that had not been destroyed had gone north, save one composed of Britons and Gauls about fourscore in number, commanded by the Briton Beric, and suggested that as months might pass before they could be captured, he should be authorized to treat with them and to offer them full pardon if they would lay down their arms, especially as they had taken no part whatever in the misdeeds of the other gladiators, and had injured no one either in person or property. I know that it was a great disappointment to him, as well as to us, when the letter came yesterday saying that they were to be hunted down and destroyed, and that all not killed in fighting were to be crucified. But we had better go in, Berenice. The dew is beginning to fall. They entered the villa. The general was alone in the atrium. Is anything the matter, father? Berenice asked, as she saw that he looked disturbed. Yes, Berenice, I have received news that as a Roman general ought to 
delight me, but with us, as Caius Muro, your father and the father-in-law of Polio, vexes me greatly. What is it, father? A man arrived half an hour since saying that he had news of importance to communicate. He was brought in here. He told me he was a cultivator whose farm lay far up on the hillside. For upwards of a year he had, in fear of his life, as he said, been compelled to sell food to the bandits in the mountains. He acknowledged that he had been well paid and that he had no cause of complaint against them, but he now possessed a desire to do service to Rome, for which he evidently expected a handsome reward. I told him I could not bargain with him. He had aided the enemies of Rome, and by his own account his life was forfeited. Seeing that for a year he had been trafficking with them instead of doing his duty and reporting their first visit to the authorities here. He said that he was not alone and that most of the farmers high up on the hills had been compelled to do the same and had kept silence, knowing that the brigands would have burned their houses and slain their wives and families had they reported aught against them to the authorities and that indeed they were altogether ignorant of the position of the camp of the outlaws beyond the fact that it was somewhere among the mountains what then have you to report i said angrily for i hate to have to do with traitors it is this he said for some months there have been living a lady supposed to be the wife of the chief of the outlaws at a farm next to mine belonging to one Cornelius. The chief often visits her and stays there. Five of his followers live in an outhouse adjoining the farm, and one of these is always on guard night and day. The chief himself is a very tall young man and is called Beric by his followers. Four of them are also of his race, tall and very fair like him. There is also a youth who lives in the house. He belongs to the band, but appears to be a native of Rome. He sometimes comes down and makes purchases in Regium. The house cannot be approached from below without an alarm being given, owing to the strictness of the watch. But I could lead a body of troops high up above it so as to come down upon the rear of the house and cut off all escape when another band comes up from below. I told him that his information was valuable and that he was to come here tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock to lead a party of light-armed troops up into the hills. And you will send them, Father? Berenice broke in. Surely you will not take advantage of this treachery. I have no choice but to do so, the general said gravely. As a father, I would give my right hand to save the man who preserves your life. As a Roman soldier, my duty is to capture the outlaw Beric by any means possible. Polio will tell you the same. Baroness looked at her husband, who stood in consternation and grief at the news. Do you say this too, Polio? Polio did not answer, but the general spoke for him. He can say nothing else, Berenice. To a Roman soldier, duty is everything, and were he ordered to arrest his own father and lead him to execution, he could not hesitate. But I am not a soldier, Baroness, began passionately. The general held up his hand suddenly. Hush, Berenice, not a word farther. 
I am a Roman general. If you say one word that would clash with my duty, I should order you to your chamber and a place a soldier there on guard over you. Now I will leave you with your husband, and the general left the room. What do you say, Pollio? Will you suffer this man who saves your wife, who risked his life for your cousin, and is, as it seems, your cousin by marriage, to be foully captured and crucified? I am a soldier, Berenice. Do not tempt me to break my duty. You heard what your father said. Berenice stamped her foot. Does your duty go so far, Polio, that, like my father, you would place a guard at my door if I said aught that would seem to run counter to your duty? Not at all, Berenice, he said with a smile. Say aught you like. I hear as a husband, but not as a soldier. Well, that is something, Berenice said, mollified. Well, Polio, if you will not warn Beric of his danger, I will do so. Have I your permission to act as I choose? My full permission, dear. Do as you like. Act as you choose. You have beforehand my approval. If you fail and harm comes of it, I will stand by you and share your punishment. But tell me nothing of what you would do beforehand. I trust you wholly, but for my sake, if not for your own, be not rash. Remember, if by any means it becomes known that you aided Beric to escape, both our lives are surely forfeited. Thank you, Polio, Berenice said, throwing her arms around his neck. That is spoken like my husband. You shall know nothing, and I will save Beric. End of chapter 20